Frederick Douglass and Susan B. Anthony's fingerprints are all over the Constitution. Frederick Douglass, with the 13th and 14th Amendments, especially the 15th, which provided for Black men's right to vote, Susan B. Anthony with the 19th Amendment, which secured women's right to vote. But what most people don't know is that Frederick Douglass and Susan B. Anthony were lifelong friends. They had a rich, complicated 45-year-long friendship. They were allies, and they were sometimes adversaries. They agitated each other. They agitated the nation. They had one of the most important and unlikely friendships in American history. I'm Ashley C. Ford. This is The Agitators, presented by the Women's Suffrage Centennial Commission, the National Park Service, and PRX. What you are about to hear over the next six episodes is a fiction based in facts. What are the facts? That Susan B. Anthony and Frederick Douglass met as adults and became lifelong friends. Fact. We know that their families were close. The Anthonys were Quakers and abolitionists. On Sunday afternoons, local activists gathered at their family farm in Rochester, New York. The Douglass family often attended. Before Frederick was close to Susan, he was especially close to Susan's father. So much so that when Daniel Anthony died, Frederick gave the eulogy at his funeral. We know that Frederick and Susan were both speakers for the Anti-Slavery Society. We know, during Reconstruction after the Civil War, they were vital to the creation of the American Equal Rights Association, the AERA. We know they had a messy public fight over the 15th Amendment, which, in 1870, prohibited voter discrimination based on race, but not sex, effectively granting Black men the vote, yet still excluding all women. We'll get more into that later. Frederick was arguably the foremost male feminist of the 19th century. He routinely gave speeches at meetings for the National Woman Suffrage Association, which was founded by Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. In fact, on the day Frederick died, February 20th, 1895, he had spent most of the day sitting next to Susan at a meeting of the National Council of Women in Washington, D.C. And in that council meeting, on that particular day, there were women of color meeting alongside white women. But we know that the women's suffrage movement too often excluded women of color, and this was a source of tension between Frederick and Susan. These are the facts. We know Susan and Frederick were in the same place together, at the same time, with regularity, for 40-some years. What we don't know is what Susan and Frederick said to each other behind closed doors. That is where playwright Matt Smart comes in. This six-part podcast is based on his play, The Agitators, which uses the facts of their friendship and takes a leap. 2020 is the perfect year to reflect on these two American titans. It's the 150th anniversary of the 15th Amendment and the 100th anniversary of the 19th. So let's get to it. Episode 1, Beginnings. 1849 and 1861. 
We begin our story in 1849, on the day that Frederick Douglass and Susan B. Anthony met in Rochester, New York. Oh, one more thing. We know that Frederick taught himself how to play violin and that he was good at it. Prologue. In silhouette, we see a tall, broad-shouldered man with a brilliant mane of hair. He holds a violin. It is Frederick Douglass. Frederick stares at his violin as though he does not understand what he holds in his hands. Episode 1. The Anthony Family Farm. Rochester, New York. Autumn, 1849. A bright Sunday afternoon. The lawn of the farmhouse. Frederick Douglass, 31 years old, stands on the inside of a split-rail fence. Next to him, there is a chair and a tray of food. There is a dish of peach cobbler. It looks cold and untouched. Susan B. Anthony, 29 years old, watches him. Frederick takes out a pencil and hurriedly writes something down. He crosses a word out and writes another. Mr. Douglass? Mr. Douglas, I cannot tell you how much I have looked forward to meeting you, Mr. Douglas. You are one of my father's favorite people in Rochester. There is nothing he loves more than the Sunday afternoons you and your family spend here on our farm. And I apologize that my teaching on Canada Joe Harry kept me away. It is an honor to finally meet you. But you have barely said a word all afternoon. Why are you out here by the fence, by yourself, in the far corner of the yard? And why have you not tried the peach cobbler I made? It is cold now. What were you playing? What song was that? Do you not like peaches? What did you write down a moment ago? You do not have to tell me, of course. But I am curious. Here. We have to do it the past, only as we can make it Useful. We have to do with the past only as we can make it useful to the present and to the future. We have to do with the past only as we can make it useful to the present and to the future. Thank you. 
I could not find good peaches in Canajo Harry. Since I resigned my position, I have eaten a dozen peaches a day here, and I am not tired of them yet. I cannot believe you do not like peaches. I should have made an apple cobbler. Next Sunday, I will. Did I say I do not like peaches? You did not say anything at all. Do you like peaches? Yes. Oh. Then do you not like cobbler? I offended you earlier. Is that what happened? I never should have stammered up to you and asked you to sign my copy of your autobiography. I apologize. Did I offend you earlier? No. No? No. Then I think you are being quite rude. Rude? Yes, if I put you off earlier, then I apologize and I quite understand your behavior. But if I did not put you off, then I should think you are being rather rude. Oh, you did not put me off earlier. You are putting me off now. I am here in the far corner of the yard because this is the best vantage point to watch my children play. To watch my beautiful wife Anna with our little Annie swaddle to her chest. To watch your father, your mother, your brothers, your sisters. You. Look at all these abolitionists. Young and old. Look at the miracle of our families all together. It is a glimpse of what the future of this hateful, hypocritical country could be. Outside this fence, a black man talking to an unmarried white woman is a death sentence. This conversation right now is enough to have me killed. You are safe here. I am welcome here, but there is nowhere in America that I am safe. Charles! Down from the... Charles Remen Douglas, down from that peach tree, you filthy abolitionist. Now. <laughs> Outside this fence, the fact that I am 29 years old and unmarried is scandalous. Most women my age have six or seven children by now. Well, and why do you not? Oh, the question everyone must ask me. Do you too think I am incomplete without a husband and six or seven children? It was not an indictment, it was only a question. As soon as a woman marries, she dissolves into her husband. All of the wages she earns go directly to him. She cannot purchase property, she cannot sign contracts. And if her husband drinks every night and beats her, she cannot divorce him. She cannot leave him. Because if she did, she would lose her children and be cast out from society forever. Her only prospects being prostitution and death. It is a wonder to me that any woman chooses to marry. Oh, but what about love? How do you mean? What if you fall in love? Who is to say I have not fallen in love? Oh, I, I meant the general you, not you in particular. Because when one falls in love... Sometimes it changes one's thinking. Well, if and when one falls in love, it should not change one's thinking on the injustices of the institution of marriage. Hmm. If I ever fall in love, it will be with an equal. Ah. But when I first met Anna, I was a slave and she was free. But we were not equals and she was everything I hoped to become. Anna! You are a vision. Standing there with your violin, I love you.
I have loved you since I first saw you in Baltimore, walking down South Caroline Street. Frederick picks up his violin and plays. Do you hear how much I love you? Frederick plays another riff. From across the lawn, the sound of his wife Anna playing her violin in response. Frederick listens. He smiles. I owe everything to you, you beautiful, euphonious woman. (laughs) I only had the courage to run away because I was running away to Anna. Twelve days after I escaped, we were married. Throughout my life, it is women who have taught me how to be the man I am. Your father said you recently gave your first public speech in Harry, a speech on temperance. He said it caused quite an agitation. Agitation is overstating it. It was more of a stir, a gentle stirring, really. It prompted people to start calling you the smartest woman in Kanajahari. I am afraid that is not much of a compliment. (laughs) And more accurately, people called me the smartest woman who has ever been in (laughs) Kanajahari. Sadly, still not much of a compliment. Your father beams with pride when he speaks of you. I do not know why. I am a school teacher who quit her job and moved home. I've done nothing yet. He believes you can become anything you want to become. Do you realize how unusual your father is? He is like many Quaker men. No, he is not. Even though Quaker men say they believe in equality of the sexes, when it comes to their wife or daughter speaking her mind with abandon, they're... Conviction wanes. It may be 1849, but most men, however enlightened, find the idea of a woman giving a public speech repugnant. And how do you find it? I find it as vital as oxygen. It is a pleasure to finally meet you. And to meet you. Please, sit. No, thank you. Oh, sit for a moment. I insist. I do not know how to sit. May I tell you why I resigned my teaching position in Kanajohari? It is because I cannot sleep. I lie awake at night, my mind racing, my heart pounding, only thinking of one thing. How do we end slavery? How? Mr. Douglas, what can I do to help? I know there are many things that my father and all of my family have already tried, but nothing has changed. What more can we do? It is 1849. How is this still happening? I cannot think of anything else. I cannot sleep. So we should end slavery because it keeps you up at night. That is not what I... Why then? When is your birthday? What? When were you born? February 15th, 1820. I do not know mine. Not the day, not the year. Do you keep a record of a horse's birthday or a mule? 
I did not understand when I was growing up, why did the white children get to have birthdays and I did not? Why do you get to have a birthday and I do not? No, answer that, why? Slavery is not an idea to me. It is not a great evil that happens far away in the South that keeps me up at night. No, slavery is what stole the first 20 years of my life. Why do you get to know your brothers and sisters and I do not? Because mine are in chains right now. My sisters and my only brother are in chains right now and, and three million of my brethren. Has your father ever hit you? What? No. Has he ever whipped you? No. Has he raped your mother? Mr. Douglas. That is what the white man my father did. That is what the white master did to my mother over and over. Slavery steals our bodies away from us. It is a destroyer of family. My daughter Rosetta was born on June the 24th. Louis on October 9th. Frederick March 3rd. Charles, October 21, Annie, March 22nd. They are why slavery must end. <laughs> what I would give to have known my mother. What I would give to look across the yard on a Sunday afternoon and see her. I only saw my mother but four or five times in my life. After I was born, she was taken from me and put 12 miles away. But four or five times at night, she was able to walk the 12 miles and lie down with me and sing me to sleep. And long before I waked, she would be gone. She had to walk the 12 miles again before daybreak or she would be whipped. She worked sun up to sundown, walked 12 miles, sang me to sleep, then walked 12 miles back before sun up, and I, I cannot remember the song. Bum, 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 bum. It is always just out of reach, just beyond, but, but I will find it. I will find my mother's song. Bum, 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 bum. What can I do to help? Well, there is only one thing to do. To agitate. Agitate, agitate. Agitate. But agitation alone is not enough. Oh, agitation is the spark to the fire of all change. As long as there is slavery, the Constitution is a sham. It is nothing but a piece of paper with lies and unfulfilled promise. We must make people angry. Make them listen. Make them talk. Nothing changes if people are not talking about it. That must come first. We need more than words. <laughs> Why is it illegal to teach a slave to read? 
because words can shine light unto injustice like no other force. If I did not know how to read and write, I never could have escaped slavery. What can you do? Use your words as weapons for moral change. Use the privileged air you breathe to speak out against slavery to everyone you know and everyone you meet. We need you. We need more of our white brothers and sisters to break their silence. We need you to speak out in the street, in the counting house, in the prayer meeting, in the conference room, by the fireside, from the pulpit, but especially at the polls. Convince your father to vote. It is a crime that he has the right, but has never gone to the polls, not once. Quakers have no interest in voting. The government is corrupt. If he votes, he becomes a part of that corruption. The government wages war. If he votes, he condones that violence. But if he votes... He has no interest in voting. Neither do I. You ask me what you can do. I say use your words. You say we need more than words. I say convince your father to vote. You say he will not vote. Why did you ask for my opinion if you did not want to hear it? I hate to tell you, Susan, but white folks have a problem with listening, and the only thing harder for you to do than listen to a black man is to hear him. A shipwrecked man was cast upon the sands of a faraway beach. What? Days before, when the sailors had set sail, the sea was smooth with a smiling surface. Only after they were well embarked did the waves turn to fury and send the ship to destruction and doom. The one man who lived upon waking on the sands of this faraway beach cursed the sea for deceiving him, for destroying his ship, for drowning everyone but him. Much to the shipwrecked man's surprise, the sea arose and replied, Lay not the blame on me, O sailor, but on the winds. By nature I am as calm and safe as the land itself, but the winds fall upon me with their gusts and gales and lash me into a fury that is not natural to me. Am I the shipwrecked man? Ah. Or are you? <laughs> Is my father? Oh, I am partial to Aesop and his fables. Not only because Aesop was born a slave, or that he was African, or that he gained his freedom using his own cunning and intellect, but because Aesop forces us to think about our own twisting, changing, selfish nature. What is the wind? What is the wind? <laughs> will you please try the peach cobbler? Oh, fine, yes, I will try it. Uh, I will get you another fork. Uh, no need. My hands will do just fine. Wait. Have you had any? No, but I'm starting to think you never will, Mr. Douglas. Oh, stop calling me Mr. Douglas. We are nearly the same age. What shall I call you, then? Call me what your mother and father call me. You are a great and famous man. I cannot call you Fred. I am your parents' friend. I am your brothers and sisters' friend. I am yours as well. Even though I put you off? 
It is the trait I most desire in my friends. Frederick. Fred. No, Frederick. <laughs> Have some cobbler. I will later. I insist. Mm. Ooh. Now this is the best cobbler I have ever tasted. My mother said that is what you told her about her cobbler. <laughs> I did, but I had not yet had yours. <laughs> <laughs> Do you believe this can ever be a country for all? I hope it can be. But Susan, there are a great many people who will do anything in their power to prevent that from ever happening. I know. You do not know. And I hope you never know the depths of hatred I have seen man descend to. Then let us, us women and men, reach for the heights together. There is a brilliant burst of light. The moment stops. It burns into their memory. Association Hall Anti-Slavery Society Meeting, Albany, New York, February 5th, 1861. It is ten and a half years later, evening. Smoke is everywhere. There's the pulsing sound of feet stomping, fists pounding walls, and a mob shouting. Susan, now 40 years old, and Frederick, now 42 years old, rush through a wooden door. They slam it shut behind them and lock. They're in a small storage room. The smoke surrounds them. What happened? Someone threw pepper in the stove. Uh, Your lip is bleeding. End of episode one. This was The Agitators by Matt Smart from the Women's Suffrage Centennial Commission, the National Park Service, and PRX Productions. The podcast adaptation was envisioned by Commission Executive Director Anna Lehman with support from Kelsey Millay. Performances by Madeline Lambert as Susan B. Anthony and Cedric Mays as Frederick Douglass. Directed by Logan Vaughn. Original music and score by Juliet Jones and Rootstock Republic. The production team includes executive producer Jocelyn Gonzalez and managing producer Genevieve Sponsler. Post-production sound and mixing by Sandra Lopez-Monsalve and Ian Koss. Original music and score recorded, mixed, and mastered by Joshua Velo. Theme song production by Hunter Lamar. Overture sound design by David Lamont Wilson. Special thanks to David Herman of Good Studio, Dan Dietrich of Wall-to-Wall Recording, and Aaron Sparks and Jacob Mann at Edge Media Studios. I'm Ashley C. Ford. To learn more about the history of the suffrage and abolition movements, visit the show's website at go.nps.gov slash suffrage podcasts. 
What do you think you know about a woman's right to vote? What if what you learned in school isn't the whole story? And what if suffrage is about more than getting to the polls? I'm Retta. And I'm Rosario Dawson. Join us for And Nothing Less, a podcast honoring the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment. From the Women's Suffrage Centennial Commission, the National Park Service, and PRS. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.